This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Well, welcome to the seminar on growing in the church. My name is Esther Knott, and I'm an associate pastor at Pine and Memorial Church at Andrews University. And I am also working with NAD Ministerial as an associate in that area. And our goal through the NAD Ministerial Department is to help equip pastors and local churches to do the work that they need to be doing. And as I said in our introduction in the auditorium, I've been a pastor for 25 years. And the greatest struggle that we always have is not just bringing people into the church, but how do we make them fully members? It's not like, here's your membership card, have a seat. That is not what the local church is about at all. And I have been a member of other professional organizations. How many of you have heard of Rotary International? It's a, a club organization of business people, and together they believe that they can do more than if they try to do it individually. And when I was the president of my club, and when you join, they are intentional about letting you know what Rotary is about, how, can, how you can be involved, and equipping you to be a leader. So it seems that we should be involved in that same intentional process. And that is what this seminar is about, is helping us to be intentional about what we do with our new members. And I should ask, how many of you have been baptized for less than five years? Well, that's a lot of you. And we could probably hear how you were or were not disciples. But so um, I'm privileged to work in Michigan Conference as a pastor for 14 years, and they have been very intentional about we're just kind of in the experimental stage of setting up a strategy of what we want to do to create this holistic environment for our members to become fully incorporated in being disciples, not just being members. Remember, we don't want to just be a member. We want to be a disciple. And back to my Rotary experience, I was a member of Rotary for a while, but I did not fully feel that I was a member until I was involved in the very first project. We were sending medical supplies to Nicaragua, and I went to help package that. Once I did that, I felt, wow, now I'm a Rotarian, because I wasn't just going to lunch. I was involved in the mission of the organization. And so we want that experience to repeat it over and over because this is not just about what Rotary does. It's about the kingdom, about life and death matters. And that's what we're going to be looking at this afternoon. So let's pray. Dear God, what a privilege you have given us to be part of a movement, not just one more denomination, but a movement. And as we gather this afternoon, I pray that through our conversation and through the things that I present, that the people here, my brothers and sisters, will have some tools to help them accomplish what you have called us to do. So there's nothing in our prayer that is against your will. We all, we're praying that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven so that we can all get there sooner. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When you think of the member in your local church, and your name is? Melissa. I'm going to keep this this way because I might forget. Melissa is from Lisbon, Lismore, New South Wales. Okay, thanks. In Australia. Thank you for being here. And she's going to be my scribe this afternoon. Okay, so when you think of your local congregation and think of a new person that's just coming in, or perhaps you were that person, what are some of the things that you think a new person 
needs to be aware of in order to be fully engaged as a disciple? Would you just call those things out or put your hand up and we'll bring the mic to you? That would be better. Put your hand up. And yes, Melissa will write them down for us. So just think if somebody is coming to your church, they're new, newly baptized person, what are some of the things that they need to know? You've got a very short cord. Put your hand up and it'll reach across to you. Um, in the Great Commission, and that there, that as Christians, that we're ordained into the work okay. of, of Christ and to, and to bring others in. Okay. So they need to know that they have to be part of the Great Commission. Yeah. It's okay. not a spectator sport. Not spectators. Be part of the Great Commission. There was a hand right in front of you. The core beliefs, everything that the church actually believes in. Okay. So the core beliefs. 27. Yes. 28. Yeah. 28 now. <laughs> 29, 30. Yes. The core beliefs of our church need to be re, re, um, well, to be strengthened in them again. How to have a personal relationship with Jesus. How to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Yes. Put some hands on the other side. Conversion. What do you mean by conversion? A new birth. Okay. And part of that will precede their baptism. Okay. What area of ministries your church has where they might be able to fit in with their gifts or talents that they already are bringing? Okay, so finding a place of ministry, discovering the spiritual gifts, and participating in the ministry right in their local congregation. One important thing to uh, share with new believers, I find, is that to let them know that the people that are in the church are not perfect and that we're all growing. Because a lot of times, I remember for myself and my friends, when they come, like, based on what they may have read or have not read, they have expectations. And then they see, well, these people are here, but they're not doing any of these things that we have in the book, you know. And to let them know that, well, their eyes are to be on God, first of all. And then, as she said, discipling in Bible studies and encouraging them to read for themselves. Okay. So, one of the challenges is that we have people coming into a church, we want to disciple these new members, but the people in the church are not disciples themselves. So pretty soon they'll come in and they'll say, oh, well, nobody else is doing anything. Why do I need to do something? So that is why the program that Michigan Conference has set up is so good, because as you, we have a program where you are mentoring somebody, and as you mentor someone, you are becoming the person that you need to be. So there's, you know, there's a point on the continuum where you have to start. Because I know when I'm looking for mentors, there's a certain things that this mentor is going to have to share with the person they're mentoring. But what if they've never read that book? What if they've never given a Bible study? We've got to, but we've got to start somewhere. So right here. Um, they need to know uh, how, to, how to obtain that Christian lifestyle. Because when you come into church, um, or you don't know how to keep the Sabbath. You don't know um, how to go about when it comes to de- devotions in the morning, in the evening. What's important? What do you do on the Sabbath? Um, so a Christian lifestyle, tools for a Christian lifestyle. Okay. Fantastic. I'm going to just take two more. Well, one right here and then two more after that. And if the two of you could just move over toward the mic, especially you at the back, that will make it easier. Um, they'll also need to know how to serve others. Because how to serve others. How to serve others and not necessarily 
members of their own families. When it comes to Holy Communion, they will need to learn how to serve each other, regardless of where someone comes from, the background and everything. Okay, learn to serve. So there's a comment here, and we'll on the front row, we'll end with those. Kind of a piggyback on that is uh, teaching them to then disciple others, uh, reciprocating that, and that, that kind of ties into what, what you mentioned, the fact that our churches, there are some people in our church that haven't been discipled properly. And so if we can break that cycle now and, and train these new, new believers to also disciple, we can try to overcome that problem. Great. Thank you. Everybody um, touched base, basically what I wanted to say, but I've only been an Adventist for seven months, and when I first started, um, coming from a Catholic background, there's a lot of jargon, you know, words that I wasn't familiar with, and I believe that even though as basic as it might be for me or for you, you know, or for people who have been Adventist all their life, um, you know, you're familiar with it, and you know, I guess jargon, touch base jargon with people who have never heard of, you know, Jesus and all the stories in the Bible. Or GC or ADRA or GYC. You know, what does that mean? What's NAD? Yeah. And we're going to let the last word be right here since you've been helping with the mic. Uh, one thing I realize a lot of new Christians need to see is overcoming. Uh, people who are actually overcoming that things that you struggle with as you just come into the church, there are actually people getting victory over these things. For example, if a new person struggles with drugs or pornography or such things, they need to know that there is an environment where there are people who are constantly striving to live that Christian lifestyle and overcome these things. Great, thank you. You can put it right back there until I need you again. As I mentioned in a little bit, you're going to get a, two handouts. One of them is called My Discipleship Journey Log, and the other is The Mentor's Discipleship Log. And the reason I don't want to give it to you yet, because this one, you'll look at it and you will become overwhelmed, because I know, I looked at it, I read everything. This one I'm thinking I could give you to look at, because what I was really pleased with the different categories that they came up with in here are the things that you put on the board. For example, um, becoming a disciple, new disciples orientation, that's walking with Jesus, this personal spiritual development of the new member, grounding in the Bible doctrines, the Adventist family, Christian lifestyle, learning about the Adventist church, and you don't need to write these down because you're going to get this, the ordinances or the services of the church, and then serving, some of you mentioned, being involved in personal ministries, and then church ministry training and being involved in evangelism. So I think I will have my helpers, if you would pass out these, the discipleship log. This is the smaller one of the two. And don't you just love it when people make mistakes? I do. My Lithotech, which is the printing place at Andrews, I gave them the disc and asked them to print it out in black and white because that's all we c I could afford. They made a mistake, and they printed them in color, and they didn't charge me for the color. They just charged me for the black and white. So we're grateful for that. So I've got some extras up here if 
people need to get them. The reason I don't want to give you the uh, mentor's log yet is because I want you to think creatively before we give you the answers. Because this is something for you to edit. And even our conference has how to prepare this. Every local church is going to be different. And as you go back to your local church, you know, it may be that they have a program in place or you can share this with your pastor and say, what can we do intentionally? And it may be that you're a, new, a seven-month-old Adventist and there's no discipling program at your church, but you might take this and say, you know what? You're an elder at my church. Could you help me go through these things so that I will be fully integrated into the church? So there are many different ways that you can use this and certainly edit it as you go along. But it is God's desire that we be fully equipped into the church. So the first one is becoming a disciple. And the way that it's suggested that we use this is that Let's take, for example, what is your name? Melissa. Okay. So is there anybody that's been baptized less than seven months? Oh, how long? You were baptized in August, four months ago, approximately. Yes. And who was it over here? Six months ago. Okay. Well, welcome to the family. So let's take Melissa. I'm working with Melissa as the pastor. And I know that she's going to be baptized soon. And I want to make sure that she has a spiritual guardian or a mentor that's going to help her over the next year. So who would, and we're going to do gender, like gender together. Since you're sitting beside her, what is your name? Kim. Kim. Okay. Would you turn your tag around? Would you put your tag? You're faded so soon. Could you mind writing your name on there? Sure. Okay. My memory's not so good. Okay. So, Melissa's going to be baptized, and, but we, when she's baptized, we're not going to just leave her on her own, because Kim has been meeting with her every week to give her Bible studies, and so we don't want her all of a sudden to be this vacuum, because all of a sudden she's not going to be doing the Bible studies anymore. But Kim has friends, and your name? Tara. Tara and? John. And John. Is yours faded too? No. Oh, no. Okay, could you leave it so I could see that? So we're going to refer to you all the way through. Because remember, we don't want to do this just by ourselves either. We want to have a team of people. So Kim has been bringing her along, and we know her baptismal date is coming up. And so Melissa knows that we're going to continue the discipleship process. So Melissa has her, will have her discipleship journey log, and her mentors, who are going to be part of this process, they have already been trained by the pastor, and they have experienced some of these things that they're going to do with Melissa. What's nice is that when Melissa, after her baptism, she's going to get this log after her baptism. And you will notice that the first column that says coming to Jesus, these are all things that are pre-baptism. So when she gets her log and sits down with her mentor, she already gets to check some things off. You know, it's not like, oh, I've got all of this to go through and remember, this is not to be seen as a checklist. It's more, it's a personal relationship with Jesus and how we keep growing in that and to be a member of the church. It will be easy for some people to see this, even legalistically. But remember, the purpose of this is that it's people, there's knowledge that we need to have. We also need to have a relationship with Jesus, and we need to be fully engaged in the mission of the church. Just like Rotary has an intentional process of training their new members, why shouldn't we? I mean, somebody used the illustration this week about an army. You know, when you're going to do battle, you have to be equipped to do battle. 
So why should we slough off and not be equipped to face the very real challenges that are going to come? So here it is. Um, I have completed a set of Bible studies. Don't most people do that before they're baptized? I've actually found out that not everybody does. And so we want to make sure that ideally they would have completed a set of studies or gone through some evangelistic meetings. And we know that those who make the best decisions through evangelistic meetings are people who have had a set of studies first, then they come to the meetings. If they've just come to the meetings, it is good to reinforce what they have learned by taking them through a set of studies. The other reason I like to use a set of studies that's printed is because now they already have the first tool in their toolkit to share with their friend at work. And in fact, while we're in the middle of the lessons, I often ask them, Melissa, who do you have that you could be sharing these with? And sometimes, even before they finish the set of lessons, they start sharing. Right now, I'm working with a man who's in jail. I met him because he and his fiance came to church, came to the church, a church, looking for a pastor to do their wedding. Well, I wasn't going to do the wedding. Somebody just got shot. Is everybody still alive? Good. I wasn't going to do the wedding without doing pre-marriage counseling. And so through the course of them coming to church and with the pre-marriage counseling, I slowly heard more and more of their story and then found out that he came to church one Sabbath, actually heard Pastor Dwight speak, and he spoke about moral purity. And this couple was living together. And I had told them I really didn't feel comfortable. Whenever we do pre-marriage counseling, we ask them to live lives of moral purity. He was going to go back to his family in Benton Harbor, but when he was there, it was a bad environment, very bad environment. So they hadn't split up yet. So we kept praying that God would provide a place for him to stay. Well, at the Sabbath, after he heard the sermon, he felt convicted that he needed to make things right in his life. He, there was a warrant out for his arrest. He went to the jail that Sabbath afternoon, and he turned himself in. And it's funny how God answers prayers. Because this man, he found a place to stay. They are no longer having sex. And, you know, what the fiancé said is, you know, God is cleansing us both. And so I just praise God. He has also provided time for them to do Bible studies. He, his, his fiancé is doing a Mark Finley's Search for Certainty. Those are the studies we're using with her. The jail has its own set of studies that aren't Adventist, but they provide studies. But I said to the sheriff, I would really like to get him this set because I'm studying these with his fiance. So he approved them, got them into the jail. But this man who's in jail, his name is Bruce, he's so excited about what he's learning that he, he hasn't finished the set of lessons. He's not a Seventh-day Adventist, but he is sharing these lessons with the other prisoners that are in the jail. And when he talks to his fiance, he's on the outside. It's kind of this race going on. Like, what, what lesson is he on? She's trying to get through. He's on lesson 20, and I think she's on 17. But nobody has sat down with them yet. To, like, I think lesson 3 or 4 is what the person who's doing the studies with them is on. But he is so convicted, he, he tells his fiance, you know, this is the true church. We have to become Seventh-day Adventists. And he said, and we're not going to eat unclean meat. In fact, I want to become a vegetarian. So he's just, you know, it's just amazing what God is doing in the life of these families. So the point is, when somebody starts doing the lessons, and I said the reason I like a hard copy, is that they have the first tool in their discipleship kit that they now have the answers to that they can then be sharing with somebody else. 
So you'll see under there, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I've responded to the call to be a disciple of Jesus, and I have been baptized. So that first mentoring time, Kim, when you and Melissa get together, you're going to go through this. She's going to check those off. Now we look at the next section, which is walking with Jesus. This is her orientation. You're going to review this log with her, but you're going to do it in such a way that it's not this huge checklist. You've got to do it so that she knows what it means to be a disciple. And in the material that you will get, and I'm going to give you a website that you can go to as well, it has some of these things that you can use. There's a handout that is like a Bible study so that when, before Melissa is baptized, she understands what it's going to mean to be a disciple. She's not, we're not baptizing people into a club or into a church. We're baptizing them to become a disciple. And if they know that up front, they know that they are joining a movement. You know, and GYC has been referred to as a movement. It's a movement. It's not just about a convention. It's about what you're going to do when you leave this place. So it's the same thing that's going to happen to Melissa. Over time, Melissa is going to choose a field of labor. Some of you brought that up. How is she going to serve in the church? And I would say not just in the church, but in the place where she's going to work. Our mission statement at Pine and Memorial Church is equipping this generation to serve Christ in the local church and in the world. So when they leave Andrews University, we want them equipped to go to their local church, serve there, and also wherever they choose to work, that they will be a witness for Christ there as well. So we know that when they're at Andrews, the handicap is we're a huge church. It's excellence in so many areas. So what happens when they leave Andrews and they go to a church of 50 people and you're the only young adult? It's easy to be critical. You know, it's like, is there anybody here today to have special music? That's the way that it's done. I know. I've been there. (laughs) So you want to, we want to equip you that when you go to that local church, you're going to love those people. You don't go in there with an attitude like, oh, these little hillbillies, what do they know? Because you're so educated. Go to serve. I know when I graduated from my master's program and then went to a little, well, they don't think they're little, and it's true they weren't, but compared to pioneers, they were little. The average Christian church has less than 100 people, not just the Adventist church, less than 100 people. But, you know, when I showed up, they were in the middle of a building project. There was mold in the basement. I showed up and I started scrubbing the, wall, scrubbing the walls. That is how I earned my right to lead. You earn the right by going in there to serve. Not that you have this you know, attitude that you're better than the rest of the people there. So we want you to find your place of service. There's a place to check off here, too. It says, I have worked in the following ministries within the church. We've put one in here that we want them to serve in the area of public evangelism. Then they can choose other things. What are some ministries that you can name off that are in your church that a newly baptized person should be exposed to so they can have an idea of... What are some places that they might have an interest in? Because remember, you discover your gifts and serving by what brings you joy. You know, you want them to be awfully scared about it. You want them to experience joy. So what would you suggest if Melissa came to your church and you were her mentor? What are some places you'd want her to be exposed to in serving? Okay, in our church, I know we have an active CHIP program. We do it a couple times a year. We have active children's ministries, uh, Pathfinders, Adventures. Okay, so several things there. You can write them in on your log if you want, or just, we've got two hands over here. 
music is always an important element in any church, and uh, usually uh, musicians are scarce. So if anybody has talent, I'm sure they'll be very welcome. Sure. And, you know, if somebody plays the piano, I know at our church we have a lot of college students who help on the children's division because they need piano players. Those songs are not easy. Um, at our church, at least with youth, doing actual outreach and doing it in groups um, is something they really like doing, and they, and they tend to come back and ask when we're going to do another one. I know with adults who've been there forever, it's not so easy to get them to come out, but with the young people, when you have a, good, a group of them who are going out to knock on doors, kind of like GYC does with the, with the buses, we see them very enthusiastic about it. They usually like to come back in the evening or come back the next week. So it's always easier to do those things in a group. And that's a biblical model, too, to do it together, and at least in partners. It's, and then there's two hands up here, one on either side. Yeah, just to piggyback off of that gentleman, um, GLOW or some type of literature outreach, too, um, or Bible study um, surveys door-to-door as well. Okay. And the GLOW tracks or um, Michigan Conference, the Balance magazine, good thing we didn't grow up in a country where people were shot like that. We would have hit, hit the floor. Um, I found, like, the Balance magazines. How many of you are familiar with Balance magazines? Okay. Are you from Michigan? <laughs> But they're beautiful magazines that talk about health, and there's a recipe in them. You can be so proud that your church has produced those. They are professionally done. The photographs are wonderful. I wish they had a booth here. But, you know, just putting them on your desk at work, wherever you are, is a conversation starter. Um, community service, giving, um, providing food or other items which are donated by the church to the community, to the homeless, and people who are suffering. Okay, so all of those are things that you can get people involved with. Put your hand over here. And they can see how they enjoy that. Yeah, and some of them are really pretty simple. Like um, once a month our church goes to a local nursing home and we sing hymns for an hour. And we have a very small church that, and so we really don't have age segregation. It's really just families. We do have you know, uh, small children, you know, like the little ones uh, during Sabbath school. But we all worship together, and we go on outreach together, and we do all these things um, that aren't age-segregated. It's families going out and doing these things. Um, Also, you know, some things that they can do are the, the readings before church, you know, during the service. Someone gets up and does the, the opening reading uh, from Scripture, and, you know, they're just really simple little things to introduce people to, um, to the church. Um, and the other thing is maybe, you know, literature. We have to set out all our literature and take it down every Sabbath because we rent space from another church. So there's so many things that don't take a lot of time but that can introduce people and help them to feel uh, useful. And as we get involved, it becomes our church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's very important. Okay, so there's, oh, one more hand back there. So, again, we're looking for ways that Melissa, our new member, can experience different things to see what she would like to do to become, be involved in a ministry in the church. Really, you can use them in just about any area that fits their gifts as a, an apprentice, as a, as a co or um, an assistant. One thing that I've seen is sometimes, especially if they go to a small church, and they 
there's a big need for something, let's say a children's division leader or something like that, we put them in there too quick and then we burn them out. So, um, you know, they need training and they need to not feel like, you know, they don't know what they're doing, but they're in this position. Just a have-to-have-to have to comment right there. I think it would be important to not just put somebody somewhere just to give them something to do. It's very important. I've heard it twice, you know, about having a spiritual gifts inventory test for each one of these particular people, especially not, not just new members, healthy members in general, because oftentimes we just want to give somebody something to do, and I think it's important to give them so they don't get burned out is to place a particular area where they feel that this is what the Holy Spirit has gifted them, to, gifted them in. So in other words, they can be more active in the, something that they feel strong about. And it'll bring them joy. We talked on our staff about taking a strength quest. You know, if you do the things that you love, you're happy to do it. Otherwise, oh, do I have to do that? Whereas there's somebody on the team that really would love to do that. So we've got to find that balance. Okay, so this is the last one. In addition to balance, I also think it's important for you to look at continuing friendship evangelism because a lot of times we place you know not trying to overwhelm them the responsibilities on these individuals and I've seen in the church that I've been to whereby it's just it becomes kind of like okay I'm just here because they want this from me kind of a scenario you know I can do this so and we don't become a part of that person's life outside of church and it's just well they were baptized and I see them on Sabbath and a lot of times I have had two uh, experiences with people whereby you know their lives around them, because of they were the only Adventists in their family, it was shattering, but, well, they feel accepted at church, but beyond church, the other six days of the week, their lifestyle is something that is completely against all that they are believing in, and they struggle so much. So I, I just wanted to ask a question, you know, in the becoming a disciple, walking with God, is there an incorporation of French evangelism? Because it's more than just helping that person see what their talents are or what their abilities are and finding a place for them to fit in church but to be able essentially for us to fit into their lives you know so that they can actually have their religion as a part of their lifestyle versus just something they come to on sabbath i don't know hey we're going to talk about small groups later and i'm the pastor for small groups at our church and that's a three-hour seminar so hang on i know you said she's the last one just one more thing came to my mind um being a greeter when you're a new person, you know what it's like to want to be to be welcomed. And so I think a new person is going to make a great greeter because, you know, they're going to want to welcome people too, and they're going to feel part of the church to be able to welcome someone. And greeting is a very important thing in the church. Mm-hmm. And it's easy. Yeah. Because you just have to you have a smile exactly. and say hello. Yeah. It's good. All right. So let's move on. Otherwise, we won't get through this. You'll see under New Discipleship Mentorship, mentorship, there's personal spiritual development. And several of you brought this up when we were making our list on the board. Sabbath school class. We want to get them incorporated into a Sabbath school class. Sabbath school is about growing deeper spiritually. But we've been doing the book of Galatians this quarter. It has just been fantastic material. And we have three non-Adventists in my Sabbath morning small group class. And it's just been wonderful for them to learn this. And, you know, the Sabbath morning class is very important as a follow-up. You might take it for granted, but how many people are baptized into your church and nobody makes sure that they're in a, in a Sabbath school class? It could be that they've been in the pastor's Bible study class, or maybe they continue to be in that class, or some churches they're in there right after to go through the biblical teachings one more time. 
I had worked with two young women who actually went to a public high school, and they would not go to the youth Sabbath school class because they didn't know anybody. There's a lot of church school kids in that class. They did not want to go. And in fact, the baptism was very hard for one of them because it was public. And she did not want to, she was afraid to be baptized in public. She sobbed for 20 minutes when we talked about her being baptized. Literally sobbed. She said that people will think that I am dark and ugly and fat. And I looked at her. Nobody, nobody would ever think that. We would be rejoicing that she has made her decision to be baptized. But this was what was in the back of her mind, and she didn't, you know, she was baptized at church at second service, and it wasn't a problem. But I could not get them to go to Sabbath school with the youth. So they came to my class, which was all adults. But you know, the wonderful thing that happened is that as a mom of a teenager, I under I had a better understanding of what my daughter was going through because I heard them talking about the issues they had with their parents. And in turn, she understood better her parents' perspective because of what we would say when we would try to give her counsel and help her through something. So when, when um, Kim, when you mentioned about the intergenerational thing, I'll just step aside a little bit and talk about our small groups, is that... I do believe that there's a time for young adults to be together or for men and women to have their groups or to be age-specific. But when we started our small group program at our church, it wasn't age-specific. It was just if you wanted to be part of a turbo group, that's where you're being trained. Everybody in the group is being trained to be a small group leader. We were just overwhelmed. We had prayed for 40 people to sign up. We had 110 people sign up to be in that and so, and each of them was supposed to be with a pastor. And we would just, I had 110 names on little post-it notes on my whiteboard and was trying to figure out where to put them. They signed up by saying what day they were available. And that is how we put them together. But what we realized in one of our groups, the beautiful thing that God had done, which was, I think, a good lesson to our church about cross-generational things, is that in our group, there was a couple, a couple that had been married for 50 years and a couple that was married for five months. There was also somebody in their 80s and then other younger people. What we saw is that that couple that was married for 50 years, Roger and Peggy Dudley, some of you might know who they are, they were able to mentor this young couple. And the rest of us were able to just be re-energized by seeing this young couple still on their honeymoon cuddled up at the meetings, being so affectionate with each other, which helping us to remember, yeah, that's what, was, that's what it's like to be in love and be young. And then there's the Hodges who are in their 80s. If Mrs. Hodge was in a group of people in their 80s, who's going to come and help her rake her leaves? You know, can you picture all these older people helping each other rake their leaves? And if you were in a group with all college students, who's going to bake apple crisp and bring it to your dorm room? But you see, Mrs. Hodges loves to bake apple crisp, and she will bring it to you in the dorm. And you, in turn, can bring your friends over and help her rake her leaves. Isn't that what the body of Christ is all about? I can get excited about that, because that is what he meant when he put us all together in the same body. So that's my little speech about small groups. I, you know, It's a time to be together, perhaps, but you are part of the body of Christ, and we, have to, we need to be, be engaged and work together. Okay, so Sabbath school is an important part of them being integrated here. So, Kim, you're going to bring her to Sabbath school. At Sabbath school, she's going to meet John, and she's going to meet 
um, Tara, and then I realize you guys aren't married because you have this, don't have different last names. You're just sitting together. Is there a married couple in this room? Okay, at the back there. Okay, because later on she's going to have to meet married people. So keep that in mind. She'll also need to meet some single people too. So This other one is, I have attended prayer meeting or a weekly small group Bible study. So Kim is a regular attender at prayer meeting at her church. How many of you in the last year have been to a prayer meeting at your church? Wow. I'm impressed. So maybe it's prayer meeting at your church or you have a small group. And remember, we talked about the mentor. Has to, you can't take them to prayer meeting if you don't go. So you need to go. And the point is of getting together with God's people. And in the middle of the week, because one of you that raised the issue about lifestyle, you right there, is that, you know, it's not enough to just get together with the person on Sabbath morning. You need to be involved in their lives more often than that. And small group is one of those. Okay, a daily devotional reading plan. Share with us what are some suggestions that you might make for Melissa, our new member, if you were to sit down and talk with her, how would you encourage her to have a daily devotional time with God? Right there. In some Bibles, there's actually a concordance of um, days and what uh, books in the Bible to read. Okay, and I'd like to remind you that on your seat in the auditorium were these two things. One is the daily bread plan, and it has something for you to read every day that will get you through the whole Bible in one year. So if there's extras laying around, take it with you. And there's so many things. If you've got an iPhone and you've got logos or some other U version, they have a lot of different reading plans on here that you can use, and it'll pop right up onto your screen. Anybody else? What would you suggest to help her have a daily devotional reading plan at the back of the room? I'm doing Bible studies with a lady, and she wanted to know how she can, because we were talking about knowing God, and she didn't know how to do that. And so I said, well, you can get to know him by reading the Bible every day, and she wasn't sure how to do that. So she asked me to email her what I'm studying every day. So I'll, I don't get it to it every day, but I email her when I find something that I'm studying and so she can kind of see what it's like. And again, when you're mentoring somebody and you're talking to them about having a daily devotional reading plan, you've got to be doing it yourself. And that is why this process as a mentor is so good for the whole congregation because you'll be involved with it too. In addition to the like the daily or the calendar reading plan, uh, someone shared with me to read Psalms according to the calendar, and then also Proverbs, like Psalms one and Proverbs one, and that has given me a lot of insight as well. Really yeah. enjoyed that. And for, there was one year when I family did Proverbs, so you read Proverbs one on the first of the month, but you you'll end up reading Proverbs through twelve times during that calendar year. I tell you, there's a lot of wisdom in there. And when you put that in your mind, you know, God brings those things to your memory. So, yeah, just so it's, you don't have to wonder what chapter you're on because it's, you know, January 24. That means you're reading Proverbs 24 that day. You know, then it's March 16. You're reading Proverbs 16 that day. You just keep going through it. Sometimes a great gift for a newly baptized person is a daily devotional book. Uh, that you find at your ABC and goes through the calendar year. Of course, it depends on when they've uh, 
been baptized, but uh, that can be picked up at any time. And just to give them something that, that they can have each day with the Bible passage, maybe a spirit of prophecy, uh, quotation, and uh, encourage them to, to follow that daily uh, devotion time. Okay. Solid Ground by Mark Finley is what I've just been recommending. Solid Ground by Mark Finley? That's a, a reading plan? A devotional book. Okay. And since my senior pastor is in the room, I'm going to make a plug. You know, the daily devotional book for 2012 is called The Chosen. And it's, it's, the reason I'm really liking it is because it does help cover the teachings of the Adventist Church. So it looks about the fact... Do you want to tell them what it's about? You wrote it. It talks about the fact that you were chosen. I don't know how families are going to get through day one because he talked about how the sperm gets to the egg and the sperm getting to the... Uh, the, the sperm involved and an egg involved. And I think kids are going to be asking their parents questions. So they'll just have to get through day one. But the idea that you were chosen... And it goes on all the way to the fact that we're chosen when we're part of the church, chosen for a mission and a message that we have to take to this world. And I don't know how anybody who is a, a, a fully integrated Adventist can ever feel like they're worthwhile, worthless, worthless. Don't know how they can feel that they're worthless. Sorry. Because you know what? When you, you know, my name is Esther. My parents gave me that name, and I grew up with the phrase, who knows? but that you have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. How could I not grow up with knowing that God has something special for me? If you bear the name Seventh-day Adventist, you are part of a movement. You have a role to play in changing the world. So there should be no Seventh-day Adventist that, is, that feels, man, there's nothing for me to do, and I'm just nobody. You are chosen. So anyway, that's another devotional book that you can use uh, to help with that. Comment here, then I want to go to the Andrews Study Bible. Yeah. Uh, does that, uh, does this plan also incorporate, I, I don't quite see what I'm looking for here. It says personal spiritual development. Does this include um, knowing really how to study scripture? Because when... I, I was a Christian since 97, but in the past few years and becoming a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, uh, not until then did I really understand how to use a Bible and a concordance and, and prayer and just to really dig deep and ask the Holy Spirit to, to guide me through that. So, um, you know, not just a devotion time, and a daily prayer time, but really how to study God's Word. And that's an excellent question, and the answer is yes. When you get the mentor's log, it says about helping them to know how to use the Strong's Concordance, how to use a Bible dictionary, how to use maps, um, so that they can navigate their way through. And if you, was it, um, I guess it was his, in his seminar, you know, Pastor Dwight talks about in his book, how, A New Way to Pray, it's not taking a whole chapter, necessarily. I think that's still good to do, but to take a story, starting with the Gospels, taking a story and read that story, then live that story. You know, our morning devotional speaker was very good in her presentations, the way that she did that. You knew that she had lived with that text, that she had imagined it, that she had tasted it, that she had walked it. And when you do that, meditating on those few verses in that story the Bible will come alive, and it's the idea, what is God saying to me through this passage? 
And what do you want to say to God because of what you've heard in that passage? I'll have to admit, I'm not a journaler. I need to be. I need to do it more. Um, There is something deeper that you get when you write than if you just think it through in your head. Sometimes what I have used is the Serendipity Bible. As the small group pastor, I'm always um, wanting to... That's an excellent resource. It's it's like the small group pastor's savior with the small letter S when you have to go lead something. But in the Serendipity Bible, it has an opening question, questions for you to answer pertaining to the text, and it has application. And I used to just answer them in my head sometimes, but I found that if I write down the answers, you go much deeper. So I encourage you to do that. And even if it's your crutch for a while, you can, you'll, you'll become more apt at, at coming up with questions yourself as you go through that. But So reading scripture, you know, focusing on that is one way. At a recent convention, there was a woman who came to our booth. She was an Adventist for two weeks. And she said, I want to learn to study the Bible. So I talked to her about the Andrew Study Bible. And what I did is I took her to the back where it has this annotated theme index. And I said, start with the text that talk about the Bible. And would you, since you've got the microphone, just read what that paragraph says. The The Bible is God's word to human beings. Being a revelation from God himself, it provides earthbound people with insights from a heavenly perspective. Since the Bible is fundamental to the study of all other themes, it is important to understand what it says about itself, its authority, and its source. Okay, then I had her go to the first text that's headed, that's under that section, and these are all in chronological order, and it was Psalm 119, verse 11. What does that text say? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. So then I gave her the Bible to look. Who would like to read for me? To read the, the, the note on that text. It's right here, Psalm 119.11. Sin is taken very personally because sin breaks one's relationship with God. Not to sin means... Oh. Not to sin means to live according to God's expressed will. Keeping the word of God in the heart is the only safe way not to sin against God. Jesus resisted temptations by the word of God as contained in the scriptures. For more on the role in the Bible of Christian life. Oh, sorry. So there's other texts for them yeah. to look at. But you know, the woman looked, she read that passage, she started crying. She said, I need this kind of help to be faithful and not to sin in in my life. And that is what God's word will do for us. And when you are studying with the person that you're mentoring or discipling, you know, share with them an experience from your life of how God's word has made a difference because that's going to inspire them to read the Bible. And I had shared with that woman how when my husband and I got married, we were in a little apartment in Maryland, and with that apartment came free cable for the first 30 days. And then they had continued it, And, you know, when you have cable TV, you think you have to watch TV because you're paying for it. And so one day my husband was gone, and I looked at the cable TV guide. And I saw a movie was going to be coming on. And I will not tell you the title of the movie because I'm embarrassed to tell you that I even thought about watching the movie. If I told you the title, you would say, you know, just the title alone. But, you know, I was curious. Ron was gone, and I just thought, you know, I could flip that on. Well, 
the movie was going to start at 10.45. It was 10 o'clock, and I hadn't yet had morning worship. So I went into the little den, and I read my Bible, my morning worship. You know, by the time I was done having my worship, I had no desire to watch that movie. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That is why we need to be spending time in God's word. And I, I believe it is the tool that will help us to be faithful in our spiritual walk. So help them uh, to, to learn how to study the Bible, have the daily devotional reading plan, have a daily prayer time. Okay, what kind of feedback can you give Melissa? She wants to know how to pray. We had somebody recently in one of our small groups. We have some students who are from Nepal. They have a Hindu background, and they have been learning about the Adventist church, and they wanted to know, they said to their small group leader, how do we pray? So here it is. We have a new member. How would you help her know how to pray? Remember, this is personal prayer time and also maybe praying for other people. Anybody have some suggestions for all the way at the back? I know something that really helped me in my walk with Christ um, was learning how to pray through the sanctuary service and seeing the different aspects of our walk with Christ and also how everything points to Him. And uh, I read a book by Carol Shoemake, I believe, Mm -hmm. uh, Sanctuary Secrets to Personal Prayer. Um, There's other books out there that you can find. but um, And there was actually a seminar on it just uh, on Friday. But it was that's really helped my walk with Christ. And I think introducing people to the sanctuary not just from a historical perspective, but also from a practical perspective in their walk with Christ is really um, spiritually building. And it helps them to visualize. And then you're covering two things. But another thing in here is acquainting them with the sanctuary and what that symbolized and what that means is happening in heaven right now. So I see a hand over here. Okay. Um, I get distracted really easily. So one thing that helps me is to write my prayers down. And so, like, actually journaling your prayers. Um, And also something else that I, um, someone else shared was um, how, like, basically taking the prayer time and separating it into different sections on different days of the week. So one particular day, like, devoted to praying for, like, your coworkers, and one section devoted to, so that you actually um, aren't trying to pray everything all in one day. Because it gets too long, right? I would also say that, you know, when you pray for people regularly, a prayer priority becomes your calendar priority. Because when you, I get, no, I get tired of praying the same thing all the time. God bless Michael. Then the next day, God bless Michael. So pretty soon I start saying, well, you know, God be with Michael today. You know, he has this 40-minute commute. He's fighting traffic. You know, he's got a wife and kids. You know, what is that like for him? You know, I know that his job, his, his boss has been sick. He's got a co-worker who might get fired. You know, help him to be a light to them. I start entering into that person's life. And if you're praying for somebody who's not an Adventist or not a Christian that you're trying to reach, it's the same kind of thing that you start entering into their life. And, you know, you feel so much closer to them when you see them. I should also put a little plug in here is that how many of you got Christmas cards from people? And then you wonder what to You probably got them all electronically, right? Those are nice, too. But, you know, what we had done as a tradition in our family, when we had Christmas cards, we kept them in a basket all year. And when our daughter was little, she would choose one every Friday night at sundown. We would pray for that person. 
and we would send them a note to let them know that we prayed for them. So it was kind of Christmas all year long. And we started having people send us Christmas cards just because they wanted to be prayed for. It's like, i got to get that card sometime. So if you've got those Christmas cards, don't just throw them away. Make Christmas go. And we would keep that Christmas card on the mantle all week long. And it looked so out of place. It's July. There's a Christmas card on the mantle. But, you know, when I would be praying for that person all week, and I'd see them at church or somewhere else, I felt so close to them because I'd been praying for them all week. And I couldn't, there's one person in particular, I was like, why were they on my mind? I felt like I had, had had conversations with them all week, but I hadn't. I had been having conversations with my Heavenly Father about them all week. I could also encourage them to use the, uh, an acronym called ACTS. You probably have heard of it, A-C-T-S, A for Adoration, where you're praising God. Um, and what I usually do for myself I use the Bible and I just go to the book of Psalms especially and I see examples of how David praised God. Mm -hmm. And I could refer him to a few of those. And, um, you know, A-C-T-S-C, confession, T, thanksgiving, and S, supplication. And letting them see that there's this holistic um, thing about prayer. It's not just asking for something. You're praising, you're thanking, you're confessing and doing those things. And I do feel that's a very important place to start because when we recount how God has helped, even the fact that he had parted the Red Sea, all of those things, when we put in perspective that he is God, all of a sudden my little problem seems smaller. And it seems there's a God who can deal with this. If he could do those kinds of things that Scripture recounts him doing, surely he can handle my problem. Let's just take one more. I was going to say, this is going to sound really simple, but as a pastor, I've read many books on prayer, and when I want to revitalize my own prayer life, I always end up going back to the chapter, The Privilege of Prayer and Steps of Christ, and I've never found anything more powerful, you know, ounce for ounce, than what's in that, that little book. I mean, read that a couple of times, and it just energizes everything. And Peggy Dudley, who's at our church, she prays for people, but she will only keep you on her prayer list for two weeks. If you want her, if you want to be on it again for some particular thing, you have to let her know. And I appreciate that because how many times have people asked you to pray for them and you never hear back from them? You don't know what's happened and then your prayer, gets, your prayer life gets kind of watery because, okay, do I need to keep praying for this? Yet you feel guilty about taking them off. Like, what if today was the day I was supposed to be praying for them? So, it's, you know, she's clear up front that I'm going to pray for you for two weeks and then you have to get back. Okay, you, somebody had his hand up, like a please, please, a begging look on his eye. This is GYC. We have a lot of young people coming into our church, and lots of our young people have Facebook. And I quote Job 42:10, when Job had prayed for his friends, God restored everything unto him. So what I do is I just tell them divide your Facebook friends into seven days, and start from A. They, you know, divide. They, you know, Sunday do pray for all these people that are in whatever your A, B, or C, whatever you divide them. To, you know, if you have a thousand friends, and divide them a thousand friends in seven days. And what you do is you pray for your list on your Facebook, and you have your computer open, your iPod open, your iPad open, whatever. And just pray for your list on Facebook. That's something what I share with my young people as their pastor to pray for your faith. And they do it. Actually, we did this for a whole week, and they're still doing it. It's been three months. Wow, that's great. And pray anytime. You know, you're walking wherever. I was having an MRI once, and when you're in that tube, you can start to panic. And so I prayed through the alphabet of the members in our church that came to my mind, and it was really helpful. And then I said to them, um, how much longer is this going to be? Because they have a little speaker where they can hear you. And they came in right away and said, are you okay? I said, oh, yeah, I'm just done praying through the alphabet. And so I needed to move on because I was getting a little nervous about being in that, in that MRI thing. 
Okay, last one. Sorry, I had to squeeze this. Um, about three years ago, one of my friends, I told her I've been having some trouble with faith. And I grew up in the Adventist church, and you know, you hear it, you ask Jesus to help you, X, Y, and Z. But he wasn't real to me. And she goes, I've had that problem too. And so she goes, you've got to read this book. And I go, I'm not a big reader. She goes, no, it's small. And it was like $2 at the ABC. I have an extra one. And I go, what's it about? And he goes, well, it's The Incredible Power of Prayer by, is it George Murnau? George Murnau. Murnau, there you go. Okay, so George Murnau. His experiences, I'm sure whoever read it, they just spoke volumes to me. I mean volumes. And when I finished reading it, I was like, well, before that, she also told me that, you know, if you don't, feel like praying or having a devotion, you know what I tell God? I go, what do you tell him? Uh, I tell him, dear God, I don't have that desire right now to pray. Please give me that desire. What? I'm like, you told God that? No way. And I'm like, yeah, you can tell him this. And so I tried that and I told God I wasn't really in the mood to talk to you, but please give me that desire. And it's just amazing how it just grows and grows so especially for young people um that it's really short awesome stories that helped me a lot with prayer good thank you and remember god doesn't mind if you're mad at him if you're mad at him that means you know he exists and you're talking to him he's not like us okay i've read the book steps to christ how many of you have read the book steps to christ okay because if you're going to share that with somebody and you're, you're telling melissa that she needs to read it it's a good idea if you have read it as well the wonderful book, even for sharing, when our church did the 40 days of prayer, one of the people I was praying for was a member of Rotary. And I actually sent notes out with a return envelope stamped and said, how can I pray for you? During the next 40 days, our church is doing, uh, for my own spiritual growth, I'm going to be, I'm supposed to pick five people to pray for. And because of our friendship through the years with Rotary, it was natural that you would come to mind. I would be honored if you would let me know how I could pray for you. So he, he wrote me back, and he said, pray that I will know how to work for God. Well, I remember that in Steps to Christ, there's a chapter on working for him. So I put a post-it note there, and I said, read this chapter. This just reminded me of you because you're such a godly man. And so he, he got the book, and I saw him the next week at Rotary. He said, yes, I've got that, and I've read the chapter. And I said, my other favorite chapter is the one on prayer. He said, oh, I'm going to read the whole book. He said, and I found her on the um, Internet, and she's got a lot of the other good books out there. I'm glad he went to the right site, so he could, it could be a positive experience. So, again, personal development, it's part of these are some of the things. Remember, this is just an idea. You might have other things that you will include in here. I'm going to kind of keep us moving, and then we'll have time for questions and comments at the end. Bible doctrines. A couple of you brought up the idea that we need to have them continually to be grounded in what the Adventist Church teaches. So we want to review those doctrines, either by them going to another set of evangelistic meetings or by having them go through a set of lessons. And there are many different kinds of lessons. I know that some of them don't include a lot of prophecy, so then you might want to do some specifically that deal with prophecy. I've studied the material on the law and the Sabbath. There are, on the website that I will give you, there are a, some list of resources I don't know if any of you are familiar with Skip McCarty's book. Pastor Dwight helped me with the title. Ingrained or in granite and the subtitle. What the... 
Yeah, it's what the Bible says about the law, the Sabbath, and the covenant. My husband will kill me for not knowing the title of that book. It's published by Andrews University Press. So go to the Andrews University Press website and you'll find it there. But that's a wonderful thing to help people understand because a lot of the evangelicals will want to do away with the law. But, you know, the Bible doesn't put the law in contradiction to the gospel. It's all a wonderful mesh. Studying material about the sanctuary in 1844, there's another, how many, there's a DVD called The Midnight Cry. And it's about William Miller. It came out 150 years after October 22, 1844. I've showed that to many people, and it's a, a wonderful thing. To sh- it's about the religious ferment in the 1800s, and it lays the foundation. It's not about the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but it's about how it came out of that movement. And then studying material in the spirit of prophecy. And you got a lot of that if you were here. If you missed Pastor Dwight's seminar dealing with Ellen White, that would be a great recording for you to get to help you there. Okay, so Bible doctrines is key for that. Okay, the Adventist family. I, I loved this, and some of you brought this up. Something for them to check off is, I have experienced Sabbath with two families discussing principles of Sabbath observance. And in the leader's guide and the material to train the mentors, you would the families that families that Melissa is going to visit ahead of time, they're going to go visit that couple in the back. They're going to spend Sabbath. They're going to talk about what does it mean to keep Sabbath. But there'll be specific things, and it's in the on the website that you will be able to get. Because many people join the Adventist Church and they've never they don't know what it means to spend 24 sacred hours. We need to have them in somebody's home to welcome the Sabbath and to close the Sabbath. Did any of you grow up with those terms about opening Sabbath and closing Sabbath? I, I just love those words. And, you know, when my generation looks back on the warm memories that we have and where those warm memories were, it was around the piano on Friday nights as we welcomed Sabbath. And I believe that there's a generation that's kind of lost that. But you were the generation. You are the generation to bring that in. And even if you're single, get together with your friends or find a family. And if you have a family, invite some young adults, some single people to join you. Family life resources. This is saying that your church library needs to have resources that a family can use. We are blessed to have Dr. Donna Hobbinick in our congregation. She has written the book, How to Help Your Child to Really Love Jesus, and several other things. But in the, the website I'll give you, there are some resources that are listed. Have a church library where you can have some of these things. We have a Sabbath school class that always is dealing with relationships. It's called Something in Common. That class was born because there was a couple in our church, so many of their friends were going through a divorce. And they said, we have got to do something to strengthen marriages. And so we want the Adventist families in our church to be strengthened, to so have those materials available. Because I have participated with a family, having worship and understand its importance, kind of what I covered earlier. I have read and discussed the chapter, The Home, a Missionary Training Center in Christian Service by Ellen White with a church family. My husband and I have been reading through the book Christian Service for our morning devotional time together. And I tell you, it is a high-octane book. It's the shot in the arm to remind you again, of what we've been called to do and the privilege it is for us to do that. So they're just suggesting here that you read that one chapter with your family and then discuss it. 
the thing over and over again here is that you can give your mentee an assignment, but then you discuss it together. It's more than just reading the book yourself. It's discussing the chapter with someone else. Christian lifestyle. Talking about the eight natural laws of health. Do any of you know what those eight natural laws of health are? The acronym New Start, which is a trademark of WEMAR. What does the N stand for? E. What was the last one? Okay. So for the recording, I'm going to say them again. T is for, tr- for nutrition, exercise, water, sunshine, temperance, fresh air, rest, trust in divine power. Okay. Very good. See? So you could share that with them. And it's a way for, you know, we take for granted. If you grew up in the Adventist church, you take these principles for granted. Just the whole thing about drinking water or getting sunshine or the Sabbath, rest. All of that we need to be able to share with other people. So I've attended a vegetarian cooking school. When's the last time your church had a vegetarian cooking school? I see heads shaking. So, in 1844. (laughs) So this is the reason that this whole mentor thing is, once your church starts taking seriously that we need to be discipling people, some of the things that we should have been doing are going to start coming into your church. So we encourage you to, and you know, if you, there's nobody in your church that has done a cooking school, there are video presentations of cooking schools, and you could get that and you could show it. But if, you know, if you're a cook, you can you can do something, and there's scripts that you can have that can help do it. And people love cooking schools because usually you get to sample stuff, and so that's a good thing to do. <laughs> Principles of modesty in Christian dress as it relates to your personal witness. Usually this is all about the women. Guys, this is about you. Pull up your pants. I just hate it when I see guys walking around with underwear showing. What is so attractive about that? And if you're sitting down and you've got shorts on, I don't want to see up your shorts. No, it doesn't turn me on. But please, it it doesn't look good. So, And women, you know, there's a difference between being fashionably attractive and to be provocative. And I think if you don't know that, you're, you're just naive. But most of us know the difference between the two. You want to be attractive. My daughter used to say, Mommy, why can't we? Because we would talk about being attractive on the inside, not just the outside. So you want to be attractive on the outside. God wants us to be. But Richard Fredericks, he's, when I was in college, he said, Women, you want to attract men to your heart, not to the breast that covers your heart. So we have to be careful because we have a responsibility to be godly women, not to be a stumbling block. There was a man at my church, Pastor Skip McCarty, had preached a sermon, and one of the things he talked about was pornography. I was preaching the next Sabbath. I ran into a woman at the ABC, and she said she loved Pastor Skip's sermon, and her husband no longer went to the websites. He, all of those other things he had put behind him. She said, Esther, his biggest struggle is when he comes to church on Sabbath morning. We're a college church. We are glad that everybody is there. But sometimes the way that women come dressed to church makes it very hard for people to focus. And a youth pastor said, it's hard to focus on your heart when all I see are your parts. (laughs) So, you know, we want to teach people the principles of Christian stewardship, that simplicity that comes from being a part. 
Our family recently watched It's a Wonderful Life. That's kind of our tradition that we watch Christmas Eve. And if you notice, even Hollywood gets it. When they pre- are you familiar with It's a Wonderful Life? Man, it's a whole generation that needs to be brought up to speed. Is it just a wonderful black and white? If it's black and white, chances are it's at least a little bit good. But there's a town, and it's this wholesome town, but when this other man, Mr. Potter, gets hold of it, everything is, is different in this dream that he has. And so even Hollywood gets it. The wicked woman, she's wearing jewelry and immodest clothing. There's movies, there's dancing, the marquees all down the street are those things. When it's a good town, those things are absent. So don't fool yourself and think it's just Adventists that are so strict. Hollywood knows how to portray a godly woman and one that's not godly. So when we talk about um, the way that we dress, you're going to help them. And remember, it's a continual process. We're going to talk some about entertainment. I know that when I became a mom, that drastic, God used that in a drastic way to change what I would watch on television. Because some things that were clever, the scripts were cleverly written, but the innuendos in them, you know, that were not, those were not the values I wanted my daughter to have. We actually don't have a television in our home right now. It's not because we're so godly. You know, they change, our, our TV used to be in our guest room. We don't have time. We love to read. We love to be together. We love to have conversations. And when they went to digital, there's no television that works in our house anyway. And there are so few things that we can watch. I do like to watch movies. I like to have an escape. And that's an area that I struggle with because I usually feel guilty after I've watched even a good movie because I sometimes feel like it's a waste of time. So I haven't found that balance in my life yet. And every time somebody at GYC makes a comment about what is it that you're struggling with, I always think, Lord, is that my thing? Because I asked Pastor Skip once, as we looked at the Old Testament, you know how the people kept going back to their idols? I said to Pastor Skip, what is our idol? What is it that we haven't torn down? that Satan keeps using in our church, he says, I think it's television. And it's not just television, it's movies or it's your computer. You know, anything that you choose to watch. But what I'm saying is it's a continuum. So you're not going to say to somebody, you should never watch television, you should never watch a movie. But help them to see Jesus. And then we will see the conflict between the two things. There was an article in the Adventist Review that really this sentence struck me. The writer said, that we find our entertainment in the very things that Jesus died for. Do we enjoy the murders or the sexual scenes or the whatever it is, just the funny wit that doesn't glorify God? That is what we find our entertainment in. But Jesus died because those things were sins. And that just really struck me, and I don't want to be part of that. My daughter recently was traveling with somebody on a plane, and she noticed what that guy was watching and it was a movie where it was quite explicit sexually. And she was talking to me about it. And she said, Mom, you know, I think it'd be hard for a girl to be married to a guy like that. Because how can I live up to that? You know, when you have sex outside of marriage, it's about um, performance. When you're married, it's not about performance. And it's not about recreation. So you young men and you women, you know, you know they say that pornography is the, the downfall for men. And for women, what is that, what is that book? The Men's Greatest 
What is it? The Women's Greatest Battle. Okay. So the Women's Greatest Battle, you know what that author says, it's, those, it's our ideal of romance. You know, the Prince Charming coming in and all those wonderful things that I, I, I know I'm married to a man like that. But I'm just saying there's not, <laughs> there's not too many that are out there like that. But, you know, if you read those romance novels and those kinds of things, that's not reality. And so that is our greatest battle when we think that men need to be that way. So I got off on a tangent, but it's all important. Okay, under the Christian lifestyle, it's also reading the parable of the talents from Christ's object lessons. Christian stewardship. One of the things you're going to do is to help people learn how to spend their money. So this is not just about 10% tithe. How much of what you have belongs to God? All of it. So God tells you what to do with 10% specifically, and then he says, make wise decisions for my kingdom with the other 90%. So that will affect how you spend your money, how you spend your time. It will affect everything that you do as you have that balance. You have a question? Yes, I That there are positive things that uh, can be done. When you, you show somebody the bad in the food, you want to give them the positive option. That's why you want to do things like a cooking school. When you embrace people, when you, when you bring somebody over, you shouldn't just invite them to a small group and not invite them to, to watch maybe a video or something that's, uh, that's good, that's educational, instead of just pointing out the bad in entertainment. You know, churches having things like game nights or something that's, that's positive because it's real hard to show somebody who it's so foreign to them that these things are bad or that they don't have Christian virtues if you're not giving them something to replace, replace them with. with. And I think, I think as church and as church, as a church and as church members, there's plenty that we, that we can do, but we kind of got to think outside the box and only, not only relate when people, when it comes to actual church events, but to look for opportunities and be intentional about spending time building relationships with them, doing things that are actually good and that actually draw us closer to God. You want to have fun together, right. right? You know, it's been said that if somebody's living in a shack and you want them to move out, you don't tell them how horrible their shack is. You build a palace alongside, and then you have them, they'll desire to move into it. So that's a very good point. I appreciate you bringing that up. Because we do want to, and Evelyn Kissinger, she's very balanced. She's our health and temperance leader um, working with that with our conference. She says if you have a family and you're going to introduce something new to them, that's healthier than what you've been eating, serve their favorite food at the same meal. So it's like, oh, not this horrible meal that we're having. Serve something they really love and add something new. You're not just going to have everything be new. None of us likes that. So serve their favorite foods and add something that is healthier as well. I just want to add to um, what the brother just said. Um, we, we have to learn to think outside the box without leaving our box, obviously, uh, leaving our own principles. Um, and some things that um, help us with doing that, providing material or presentations that can show our new brothers and sisters, you know, the bad side of what, what they left, you know, the bad side of the world. Um, and some of the tools that, that God has given us today, um, yesterday I've learned about this ministry called Preaching Place. Um, they see these young people um, sharing their testimonies of how it was, how life was when they were in the streets and all of that. Um, so these are 
um, testimonies that people can relate to when they just leave the world. Um, and as well, there's a ministry called Little Light Ministries, and they show basically the bad side of Hollywood. Um, they showed us things that we never thought, you know, was evil, such as Disney and stuff like that. What's, what's wrong about Disney? And they showed us, like, these, these um, um, well, these strategies that the devil uses um, introducing his ideas basically through movies such as Disney. And, um, well, these are, the, I think, the tools that we can use to, to show people who just got into, into church uh, what they left and why they left it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to keep moving here. Learning about the Adventist church, letting them know something about Adventist history, and there's a book called Welcome to Your Church Family, and it has a lot of information on there. I see some of you nodding your heads. You have used these. A World Missions DVD. Remember they used to have Mission Spotlight, which most of you don't know about, but there is a World Missions DVD. Um, Adventist World Radio has some things as well. And what I have discovered with my daughter's generation is that some of her friends are so cynical about the Adventist church. And the reason I believe they're so cynical is because they think everybody's just like them, doing nothing. They haven't been involved in missions. They don't know the stories. There is a lot that is going on in our Adventist churches. Our denomination is structured in such a way that we are taking the gospel to the whole world. Through things like ADRA, we are making a tangible difference in the basic needs that people have. You know, we hear about Willow Creek and other people doing that, and they think, oh, look at what the, those other people, people are doing. The Adventist church is doing those things. They just don't know about it. So I believe that Melissa needs to watch one of those DVDs. She needs to hear the stories. In the adult Bible study guide, there is a mission story every week. And if you read that along with your Sabbath school lesson, you will be inspired and impressed with how your church is spreading the gospel. A person needs to understand, believe it or not, the nominating committee process. How does a person get into office if they want to do something? And I know I'm in charge of the nominating committee process at our church, so I can see you with what you're saying out there. But we fill between seven and 800 positions at our church. But one of our goals each year is that we try to look at all the volunteers, we match that up with their church membership roster. Are there people who are doing nothing? We want to find something for them to get involved in. But that's a huge task. In the meantime, new people that are coming into our church, like Melissa, there's a membership profile they fill in, whether they're transfer of membership or if they're newly baptized. But Kim's job as her mentor is to walk her through the different things that you mentioned, different kinds of ministries, and see where she'd get, like to get involved. When seminary students want to be involved with Pioneer, I'll ask them what their goals are, what they need to know. With one student, he knew nothing about children's Sabbath schools. If he's going to be a pastor, I want him to know about children's Sabbath schools. So many pastors never step foot in the children's Sabbath schools at their church. So his assignment was to every week go to a different division. And we're we're big enough that we have age-specific classes that people go to. Well, he actually, after five weeks, he found one that he liked. He never finished the assignment, but that was okay, because the goal was for him to find one that he wanted to connect with. So as Melissa engages, maybe she'll be a greeter, maybe she'll help in a children's Sabbath school, maybe she'll play the piano, maybe she will get involved with the worship music. She will find a place that she wants to connect, but we have to expose them to these different kinds of experiences. We have the Michigan Memo, which is the thing that comes from our conference, and then the Lake Union Herald, So you would adapt that to yours. And I love this one 
get the person to attend camp meeting or part of camp meeting. When my father became an Adventist, it was on the little island of Trinidad, and he, was, he had been a Hindu, but you know, he thought that was the Adventist church. Those people on the little island of Trinidad, when he found out that he belonged to this world's church, he was so excited, and whenever we traveled anywhere, he made it a point to visit the Adventist institution. If there was a meeting going on, our family was present for those meetings. So encourage people to come to your camp meeting. Find a good camp meeting. When they know that they're part of a big movement, I think that that helps. Somebody mentioned the SDA yearbook. Did any of you get one of those pages that they were talking about? They took the back off of the yearbook, and they passed it out for you to pray for that world division, to send them a note, let those people know that you're praying for them. If you did not get one of the pages from the yearbook, you can find it online. Find a division, a country, a conference that you can pray for. Okay, the ordinances are the services of the church. Those of us who have grown up with foot washing and communion, we understand that. You will have to walk your new member through that, maybe be their partner as they go through that. Explain what it means. Every Sabbath before communion or during communion, the pastor explains it, but not to the in-depth that they might need. And sure, they studied it when they did their Bible studies, but, you know, there was a lot of information. So sit down and prepare them for it. And remember that the whole foot washing experience is also about making relationships right. Before they come to that foot washing part, encourage them if there are relationships to be healed, things that you need to make right with God, do that before you practice that, that foot washing part. I think if our churches reminded people about that before we came to that communion Sabbath, it would be a much richer experience. There are articles that you'll be able to download from that website. Prayer for the Sick, Ministry of Healing, has a, book, a chapter in there called Prayer for the Sick. The ABC actually carries that separate chapter that you can get. We want people to know what the anointing service is before they need it. It's not last rites. The person's on their deathbed. We've got to pray for them. Acquaint them with what that is. Help them to understand what child dedications are. Some of the people that you come into your church will have children. They might be more fully grown. They might still be babies. But they want, you want them to have a part in dedicating, bringing that child to Jesus. Help them to understand what that is. Talk about weddings and funerals. Some people have never been to an Adventist funeral. And they need to understand you know, the difference and what that is like. Okay, some of you, when we talked about ministries, you actually brought in personal ministries training. And so this is the section that focuses on that, more with them now winning people into the church as well. I'm going to skip through some of these, but it's the idea that we want them to be involved in many different kinds of activities. We, at Pioneer, we use the CPR. In the medical field, CPR is what you do on a person if they're dying, right? Any of you certified to do CPR? Several of you. But you were trained to do that, right? So we need to train people to be involved in spiritual CPR. And my friend Becky Pippert calls this cultivating the soil, planting the seed, and reaping a harvest. Cultivating, planting, and reaping. That's CPR, but for eternal life. So just as it's important to know the other medical CPR, it's important for us to know the spiritual CPR. So we want to train them how to be involved in many different kinds of things. The friendship evangelism that some of you spoke about. 
And we look at um, the planting of the seed as really being God's word. Some of us are very good at making friends with people, but we sometimes are lax at actually getting the seed of God's word planted in their lives. We want to be able to do that. And you can't reap unless you've been involved in some of those things. So there's training that needs to go on. Now, in your conference, you might have a training event that you can take people to. It could be a GYC. But look for those events and take the people with you to them. You eventually want to get people involved in giving a Bible study themselves. And it may be that you'll take them with you on a Bible study so they can actually see how to do it. Then you might have them do one while you're there. Then you eventually have them do it on their own. You want to help them prepare... You want to help them prepare other people for baptism. That, in a nutshell, is some of the things that you can do here. And when you leave, please be sure to pick up the mentor's guide. And I want to give you the website. If you want to write this down, of course, it's the www. And it's Training Center Churches. TrainingCenterChurches.org. Training center churches.org when you go to that site there is a handbook like this that you can print out there's three copies in there so don't let that scare you um, and it has the handouts that you can use to do a bible study on discipleship things that you can teach them how to pray all kinds of stuff. I mean, there's a, and there's a disc that you can get so that you can print those out or you can print them off online. That's very useful. The other piece that I wanted to tell you about is um, through the Contagious Adventist Seminar that we do at Pioneer. It's not yet published, but we were doing it so often at Pioneer that people asked, can you do something with it so that we can do it at our churches? But there's a couple things I want to share with you from that book. And this has really helped me learn to be passionate about why it's so important. The first lesson is why be a contagious Adventist? Some of you might remember that Willow Creek, they put out a seminar called Contagious Christian. We took about 300 of our members through the Contagious Christian course. And all of the evaluations said, this was wonderful, but what if my friend is already a Christian? What do I do to help them become an Adventist? So Pastor Dwight said to a team of us, develop a seminar. And so that's how this came about. But one of the first session is, so why be a contagious Adventist? You know, my friend's already a Baptist. They love Jesus. You know, why should I even bother? So the first session addresses that. But one of the things that really caught my attention in a preaching class that I took, we had to read a book called Preaching to a Shifting Culture. In that book, there's a dialogue between Albert Moeller. He's the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And Phil Donahue. Phil Donahue was the host of the show. There were other religious leaders in the program, including a rabbi. Donahue asks Moeller, do you believe Jews can go to heaven? Moeller responds, Southern Baptists, with other Christians, believe that all persons can go to heaven who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no discrimination on the basis of ethnic, racial, or national issues. Donahue's response was, you cannot possibly look a person in the eye and say that if you don't come to Jesus, you can't, if you don't change your faith, you're not going to heaven. That reeks of prejudice. 
It stirs the soul to evil behavior, in my opinion. I'll respect your religion, Reverend Moeller, if you respect mine. But please don't tell me that you know what's good for me. There's an arrogance in that. Moeller responded, Well, all I know is that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, and that all who come there can by his grace come there by his grace and mercy alone. There is nothing in us to merit salvation, and so humility is to be the Christian posture. Donahue responded, There is nothing humble about telling me that I'm not going to heaven if I don't believe in Jesus. That's not humility, that's arrogance. Now listen carefully to Moeller's response, because to me, apply this to us as Adventists. It would be arrogance if it were our message, but if that is what the Son of God said himself, if that is the truth, then it would be hateful, it would be intolerant not to tell you what we believe to be the truth. I cannot compel anyone to believe in Christ, but I do have the responsibility with gladness and joy to share the good news of the gospel. If we believe in the three angels' messages, and we do, and if we believe in that third angel's message, and we're people to come out of Babylon, and if they don't, they will suffer dire consequences, how can we know that truth and not share it with people? That would be the most unloving thing for you to do. And again, my friend Becky Pippert, she has a statement that kind of revolutionized my witnessing. She said that God calls us to expose people to what we believe, not to impose it on them. God calls us to expose people to what we believe, not to impose it on them. Because we so often want to tell them about the Sabbath and make sure that they keep the Sabbath. We want to tell them about clean and unclean foods and then make sure that they eat them. And uh, Terry, a young man I was working with, you know, he learned about clean and unclean foods. Then he went to his family and he said, you shouldn't be eating those crustaceans because they were eating shrimp. Do you think he won anybody over? No, he alienated his family. So when we work with people who are new to the faith, I believe that we need to help them be winsome and gracious and patient as they try to reach other people. Otherwise, they'll just make enemies. But, you know, when, when I tried to internalize what Becky had told me about exposing people to what we believe, I said it changed my witnessing because... People would see me coming home. You know, when I lived in Maryland and I was single, I lived in an apartment complex that had 12 units in it. And people would see me coming home from all dressed up, and they'd ask me where I had been. And I would say I had been to a meeting. I didn't say I had been to church. I would say I had been to a meeting. I don't know why I didn't say I had been to church, but I just said I'd been to a meeting. But when I started, and, okay, and then one night, my friends came home, and I said, where have you guys been? They said, we've been to Hammerjacks. Hammerjacks in Maryland is a drinking establishment. It's like a big warehouse. People go there. There's a mosh pit. They hang out, and they're drinking all night and doing other things. I really, they told me where they had been. Were they ashamed to say where they had been? Were they saying I had to go with them? No. But why was I so hesitant to say I had gone to church? I could say I had been to church without saying they had to go to church. So, when they would see me coming home on a Wednesday night, and they say, oh, where have you been? I would say, to church. Friday night, they'd see me coming home all dressed up. Where have you been? Oh, I've been to church. Sabbath morning, where have you been? Oh, I've been to church. Pretty soon, they got the idea that I went to church. One day, some people downstairs, by the way, in the apartment building, I made the mistake of thinking everybody was married, that were couples, because that was my worldview. Only one of the 12 people, there was me as a single, another single, 
All the rest were living together. The couple from downstairs came to me and said, Esther, we've been having some problems in our relationship, and we need help, and we know that you go to church. <laughs> so they, they, they wanted to know what they could do, but because they had come to me, because they knew that I went to church, I explained God's plan for them and how love was his idea, and he wanted them to be in that solid relationship, and they really couldn't discover what God wanted for them until they had some time apart, and they needed to know what, they, you know, what God's plan was for them. That couple actually separated. They, the guy dated other people, but came to the realization that he did want her to be his lifelong partner, and they were, they were married in a church. I, it wasn't an Adventist church. I'd love to say they're not Adventists, but, you know, the other point is that we are links in a chain, and we have to be that strong and that steady link for them. But again, it's the whole idea, if you, if you can just remember that God calls us to expose people to what we believe, not to impose it on them. The other thing I want to share with you from our Contagious Adventist material is that so often, I'm going to talk about myself, and this is one of our small group rules, you never say the church this or the church that. It's too easy to hide behind. If there's a problem with the church, don't say the church is so horrible. You say, there was this person that I met in this congregation who treated me this way. Because the moment you say the church, you're talking about me. And then I start to get defensive because I'm not like that, and you're not like that. So let's not say the church. So we own our statements. Sometimes as an Adventist, because the door opens, and I've had this opportunity, I think I've got to give them everything. And we have to just give them little pieces. It's the same with that mentor's log. You know, you're not going to go through the, I don't want them to be overwhelmed with all of these things to do. But it's, if it's based on a relationship with you, the mentor, and with the family that's working with you, um, it's, it's much, they're going to be happy to do those things. And one thing I, I'm going to back up a bit. On that mentor's log, you'll see that in the, the mentor's one, it says person responsible. That's not always you. If someone's going to be helping them learn how to study the Bible or go into somebody's house for Sabbath dinner, that's going to be somebody else. So as a mentor, you won't have to feel overwhelmed as well. But please print out the handbook, and that will help you. Okay, so back to what I was saying, is that you don't want to give them everything at the same time, and you want to help your, as you're discipling people, you want to help them have words to speak. In this manual, the Contagious Adventist course, we call it, recognizing contagious Adventist moments and then also creating them because sometimes nothing's happening. And so my prayer is, okay, God, how can I make this into a contagious Adventist moment? And believe me, when you pray that prayer, God's going to help you. He's the creator. I mean, he has all kinds of ways. And we know that your, your angel is going to be nudging that person's angel to get them to, you know, I believe that God is up there in the universe trying to orchestrate these meetings and if we don't open our mouths, who else is he going to use? And we have found that when people went through the Contagious Adventist Seminar, even as they're partway through, because it's nine sessions, they will come to us and say, it's like all of these people are coming to my life that, I'm trying to, that God is placing there. I believe it's one of two things. Either you didn't notice them before, or now God knows he can send them your way. Before he might have said, well, why should I even send them in Esther's eyesight? Because she's not even going to say anything. But now he knows I've been equipped to open my mouth and share something. 
So session two is one of my favorites because it talks about establishing common ground with people that you're going to be in touch with, whether that person is even a member of another church. You don't want to look at the differences in your religion. Discover the common ground first, and that way you build a friend. So here's some scenarios when we talk about creating contagious Adventist moments. Let's say you see someone coming home from church on a Sunday. The contagious Adventist response could be, so few people go to church anymore. It's nice to see that you have given God an important place in your life. What is one of the best things in your worship service today? Or ask them, you know, what did your preacher talk about that you, what was your take-home point from what your pastor said? Your tendency might be to think, oh, they're going to church on Sunday. They're babbling. No! You want to affirm them for giving God an important place in their life. And when you ask them, what is something you learned in your sermon, from the sermon that day, don't you think that if you do that regularly, that someday they're going to ask you, hey, you went to church, what did you learn at church today? Another scenario is is that you see someone playing with a child, raising their child well. When you see that, you could say, you know, when I see the way that you love your daughter, it reminds me of God's love for me. Your child is going to grow up with a wonderful picture of God just because they have witnessed your love. Do you get the picture? You're affirming what God is already doing in their lives. Someone might share something that happened to you in their day. You could say, it sounds like God really used you to accomplish something important today. And when I meet a young person, I don't just ask them, what are you taking in school? It's, what do you believe God is calling you to do through what you're taking in school? What do you believe God is calling you to do? Bring that into the conversation. It gets them to think along different lines. If somebody is helping with a youth group at their Sunday church, you could say to them, you've taken on a big job. Kids really need adults who will care for them. I sure do admire you. I'll be praying for your ministry. All of these are real scenarios. There's a person that lives down the road from us who works at a Christian camp. So when I know he's taking the kids on a camping trip and it's an intensive week, I will let him know that I'm praying for him. And the thing is, after the trip is over, you get more points if you go back and ask, how did it go? But you know what? He is doing what he knows to help support these kids. So I'm going to build that common ground and pray for them. Uh, Just a couple more. Oh, yeah. Someone says, I'll light a candle for you. Who says, I'll light a candle for you? What denomination says that? The Catholic Church. And who, why do they light the candle? It's a prayer to a saint and often to Mary. So I had a friend who said, I'll light a candle for you. My gut unconverted reaction was to say, don't light a candle for me. I don't believe in praying to dead people. (laughs) But my godly, contagious attitude is, you know what? Thank you so much. I need friends who will pray for me. I need friends who will pray for me. I'm addressing her feeling, not her head. And those of you who are parents, I would also tell you that that's a good rule when you're dealing with your kids. Address their feelings first, especially if they've done something wrong. Let them know that you understand where they're coming from. Oh, you did that because you wanted to feel part of the group. You did that because... um, Anyway, address their feelings first, and then address their behavior. Well, that was wrong, you know. You shouldn't have done that. But when when people understand that you understand their feelings, they're more likely to listen to the counsel that you want to give them first. Otherwise, they're arguing with you because you don't understand why they did that. 
So I was addressing her feeling. She wanted to do something nice for me, to spend her money, to buy a candle, to pray to a dead person about me. <laughs> That's not, of course, what I didn't say. I didn't say that to her. Um, you observe somebody working hard to make their life better. You can say, I see that you're responding to the movement of the Holy Spirit. Um, there was a lady I was working with to prepare her for baptism, but she couldn't make the decision because she said, Esther, I still get angry with people at work. Well, the difference is that now she realized it and she felt sorry about it. Before, she didn't care, and she had a bad mouth on her. But the fact that she was recognizing that what she did was wrong was very important. And I said, see, that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. So I would just, what the whole point of sharing this piece of the seminar with you is new believers, they can be too zealous and too wanting to correct people, help them to establish common ground. And we also encourage the fact to say that the decisions that we make as Seventh-day Adventists that are our unique teachings are because Jesus is the Lord of our life. And when people put it in that context, it makes a lot of difference instead of it just being legalism. If they recognize that Jesus is the Lord of our life and that's the reason why we do it, it makes a whole difference in our approach. Right after September 11, it was two weeks later, I was flying to Seattle to uh, speak for a conference. And after September 11, you know, you were talking to everybody because we had this common fear that we had. And there was a group of people we were traveling with, and there was a man, older, older, and he told me he was part of a SWAT team. So I'm feeling really good. I'm going to be on a plane, and there's going to be somebody who's a member of a SWAT team traveling with us. And then I found out what SWAT stood for. It stood for seniors, seniors with available time and talents. <laughs> and he was with a group of retired people who were traveling. And I found out that they did a lot of work at summer camps. And so I got the idea that maybe he was a Christian because the kind of person he was talking to. So I also recognized that if he was a Christian, we would get into a spiritual conversation. So early, I wanted to get into the record what I believed about how I'm saved. And one of the lessons talks about knowing where you're headed in a conversation. So we talked about the fact of what Jesus had done for us and how, you know, because Jesus died on the cross, how that affects everything that I do. How could it not when he's given me this wonderful gift? And so the man, he said, you know, it is so nice to meet a young person who is so committed to God. I loved it that he said that. Then he, I was, yeah, I love you laughing because I'm not so young. That's true. <laughs> so he, he then he said to me, and this is the question, so what church do you belong to? And, you know, this is where our heart starts racing because we kind of know what's going to happen in the conversation. And I said, well, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And I could tell by the look in his eye that he was now had a dilemma. I could understand that he knew about Seventh-day Adventist, but he did not know... He did not know what to do with this Seventh-day Adventist because we had already had common ground. We already talked about what Jesus had done for us and how that is the basis for everything that I do. Then he said, well, can I ask you some questions? And I said, where's Pastor Skip? He's a, he was a pastor. He's my go-to person you know, for biblical answers. But what was interesting, he said, I want to ask you about the Sabbath. And I, in our staff meeting, we had just talked about the passage in Romans. And so when he said, you know that text that talks about what you shouldn't be judged people by what day they worship on? And I said, oh, you're talking about Romans 15? So he knew I, he couldn't address that. 
So I said, well, do you want to talk about the other biblical passages that talk about the first day of the week? So he knew that he couldn't do that because I knew what they were. There was a man. Okay, I'm on the plane. Here's the aisle. He's actually sitting back here. He's the one that kept initiating the conversation. And, you know, there's evangelism by overhearing. So the man who's sitting beside him, okay, so this man keeps talking to me. And then I said, so which of the other Ten Commandments do you not think are important? And the man beside him said out loud, she's got you. (laughs) So people around started clapping. Because in a way he was badgering me, not me doing it. That the lady beside me, who I have not spoken to at all, she's Catholic. And she says, you know, I don't believe in Mary. I don't believe in praying to Mary, and I don't believe in purgatory. I had no conversation with her. And she just out of the blue says that. So my point is, with that man, I found out his name, um, and then knew the town he lived in in Michigan, uh, contacted a friend of mine who had a phone book for that area. I wasn't smart enough to do anywho.com, but found him sent him the book, Why I Go to Church on Sunday. It is written by Dave Merling, an Adventist. He gives ten reasons why people give, for why they go to church on Sunday, and kind of debunks them in a nice way. Sent that to him, and he had a conversation back and forth with me. I signed him up for Signs magazine, which he got regularly. He had correspondence with the editor of that paper. When this man moved, he wanted me to make sure I had his new email address, And I don't know what God will continue to do. It's one of those long stories, because September 11, 2001, was a long time ago. But again, I've been a link in the chain, and who knows what God will do. But again, the idea is that we want to treat our new members, and this is even for us who have been long-time members, to just establish that common ground. And everything that we do, even that discipleship log, is because we have made Jesus the Lord of our life. When you have experienced God's grace, God's forgiveness in your life, you can't help but share that with other people. But we are more comfortable sharing that when we have learned how to do that in in community. And so we didn't spend a lot of time talking about small groups, but I know that for us at Pioneer, small groups has been a wonderful way to bring new people in who don't know about Jesus, and especially after they're baptized, so they can be part of it. And this discipleship log, I believe, can also be done in the context of small groups. And don't limit God on how he will use your small group. When we were doing the training, our small group had a, a, a potluck together. We'd invited some non-Adventists to come just because as a social occasion, it's a good time to bring people in. And remember, this was a turbo group where everybody was being trained to be a small group leader. I'd invited Terry, a non-Adventist, to join us. And to my horror, people in this turbo group invited him to join our group. This was a training group. This was not for non-believers to come to, but it was too late. The word was out, and he had said yes. He was going to become part of our group. So he joined our group, which meant that he had to take his turn in leading the group. We were using Kim Johnson's book, Spiritual Bodybuilding. And when it was Terry's turn to lead the group, he used a quotation, and he said, this is a quotation from this woman. Her name is Ellen White. She must have been inspired. This is a fantastic quote. He had no clue who Ellen White was. She could have been John Harvey, whoever. I mean, she just did not. He had no clue. So I I just learned, you know, we have our papers. We have our way of doing things. 
But the Holy Spirit is just so much more creative than us and will take us by surprise when we let him be free to do his work. So I encourage you to do that. And um, as you leave, you'll, you'll pick up the mentor's log. You've got that on there. But they have asked us that before we close every seminar, that we give the opportunity for you to pray together. I would like you to think about one thing that you think that you might do differently because you have been at this seminar. And I'm going to ask Rodney to go around with the microphone. But just ten of you, just ten of you, would share with the group one thing that you believe you could do differently for yourself, for a newly baptized member, something in your local church. Please try to keep it to one sentence so that we can get to all ten people because we want to spend some time praying. What's one thing you could do differently? Be more intentional. Be more intentional. Okay. Yeah, I guess be intentional, but um, more specifically with um, giving them, trying to give them background on, on who we are and like uh, like the one we said in the beginning about the jargon, about making sure that they, that, that we realize the disconnect between us so that the lines of communications are much better so that they understand uh, us. Good. And in my current small group on Sabbath morning, there were 14 of us, and I think there's only two of us that were raised Adventists. So even some people who have been in Adventists for eight years, they use somewhat of a jargon. So I'll always I'll ask the question, so what does that mean? And they'll look at me like, how come I don't know? But I'm not asking it for me. I'm asking it for the other people in the group who don't know. And also, Adventists are not the only ones that have their jargon. I've been with Methodist groups, and they have their own lingo, so don't beat yourself up. It's everybody, every professional group has that, but we do need to be sensitive to that. Okay, two. Uh, prayer support, prayer buddy, and um, getting together just to share and see where we're at and what we can work on together. Good. So it's te- we t- we'll teach them how to pray personally, but we also want to connect them with a prayer partner. And there's great strength in that. I was just going to say, be more positive or be more conscious of the positive responses if someone says you know, something like, oh, I went to church today, or, and they go to church on Sunday instead of being you know, automatically negative thinking and responding negatively. Okay, so it's establishing that common ground right. and building that relationship. Ditto. Okay. <laughs> As a new Adventist myself, I've only been like a year, year and a half, making sure that I've gone through all of this myself. Okay. So, Good. Fantastic. So, so take that disciple log, go through it yourself, and I would encourage you to take the mentor's guide and even have somebody help you through that. But it's true. As I went through that and the mentor's guide, it's like, man, I haven't read that chapter. I need to do this. So um, there's even toolkits that you can order because all of the things that they recommend that you that the new believer have, you can actually get that in a kit and all of the handouts too. I've learned a more quality versus quantity approach when being a Bible worker or pastor. And what I mean by that is being patient and cooperative with the Holy Spirit in God's timing for this individual. Because a lot of times we want to rush things along and uh, I'd rather have a, a fully converted, committed disciple than a number. So, If they don't stay in the church, they're out the door. And the thing is, we've invested so much in them, 
we need to keep on investing so we have the quality person and to multiply ourselves. I know from coming to this seminar again, I mean, there's three people that are waiting for me to give Bible studies to them when I get back, and I've determined I'm not going to go by myself. I need to take a church member with me so that, you know, when I'm not there, or they just need to have more friends as well. It's great when we can um, have all of the members in a church give them the privilege of being mentors. Because once you're a mentor to somebody else and you're leading them through it, and you're going through it a second time from when you were baptized, mm-hmm. um, it really helps to solidify it in your own mind again. Mm-hmm. I actually have a question for you. And, um, I have been in the Venice for eight years, but... Um, like, um, I was baptized in a, in a small church, but then I got a transfer to another church. So I was really never um, actually, you know, was mentored um, with, or somebody, you know, was actually, you know, watching what I was doing or anything like that. But I had never, nobody really had talked to me about LNG wine. And so I was, like, um, wondering if, like, um, how do you uh, tell uh, you know new believers about LNG White? And um, you know because it's it's not in the Bible. You know her name is not in the Bible. So, but I you know I do I do um, I've heard um, a lot about her, and now I'm reading I'm I'm, I'm reading the first book, this uh, great controversy, mm-hmm. and so. You know, to me, LNG White, when people talked about LNG White, was like um, maybe like an, an uh, inspirational author. You know how some people, you know, they like Max Lucado. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, so you know how 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 do you uh, introduce mm-hmm. new believers to? Sure. And often that will come up in a set of Bible studies, which apparently didn't happen to, with you. Because I know when, when I'm working with people, that's how it comes up. And sometimes, you know, and again, I would suggest that you get Pastor Dwight's presentation. He did a whole thing on Ellen White and her gift. I'll just share my personal testimony regarding her. Because I was fortunate enough to grow up with, in a school where our physical education teacher, you know, they're usually the popular ones because you get to play all day with them. On Sabbath afternoons, Brian Townsend was his name. The kids would all show up at his house. As we walked in the door, he would hand us a copy of Ellen White's books, a whole variety of them. And we would choose whatever topic we wanted. We would look it up in the index at the back, and we would read it together. And I was really impressed with how balanced she was in her approach on things. And I think our parents must have laughed behind our backs because we would quote Ellen White to our parents, telling them, but Ellen White says we can do this, and Ellen White says... We should get good quality clothes. And, <laughs> and Ellen White had a bolt of red fabric that she would give to people so that they could make a dress. I see my husband just stepped in. I drive a red car, which he will say that was all my choosing because he's too embarrassed that I drive a red car. 
But um, he quotes the fact that I misunderstood Ellen White. Instead of the red bolts of fabric, it was a red car that people had, and that's why I have a red car. But, you know, what I encourage people to do is just to read a book. It's like the man um, at my Rotary Club, when he read Ellen White, he said she must be inspired. I don't try to force people to accept her that way, especially if they're not Seventh-day Adventists. I believe Ellen White was God's gift to the Seventh-day Adventist Church and to those who are willing and open. When I was in college, I was not a reflective person. As I said, I'm I'm a doer. I get things done. But I knew that I needed to give God an hour a day because that's what, how we were kind of raised. So I said, God, this summer I'm going to give you an hour a day. And a friend had given me the great controversy. I was a girls director at summer camp. And so I said, I'm going to start with this, and I'm going to look up every scripture passage that Ellen White used. One day I found I had been studying for three hours. The time just went by so quickly because Ellen White helped me to read the Bible. To me, that is the greatest evidence that she is from God, is that she takes us to the Bible. In the Contagious Adventist Seminar and in a handout that Pastor Dwight gave us, it's research that was done on some factors that measure spirituality, like people spending time reading the Bible, witnessing an assurance of salvation, and reading Ellen White. And it's divided into those who read Ellen White, they're called readers, and those who don't read Ellen White are non-readers. And on every single one of those indicators, those who read Ellen White scored higher. So those who read Ellen White read their Bibles more. Those who read Ellen White had greater assurance of salvation. Those who read Ellen White witnessed more. It's any indicator that you would have. So to me, that's empirical evidence, this wonderful gift that we have that God gave us as a prophet. And the thing is, she inspires me to be more like Jesus. And that's kind of how I would introduce it. But I would have somebody read a book first. And Steps to Christ is a good one. And obviously there's a lot of people out there who've read The Great Controversy and The Desire of Ages. And I hope you saw the other guide about reading through the Conflict of the Ages series that was on your chair at the meetings. I'm thinking, man, there's so many books I want to read. But I met a man at ASI convention. He didn't buy any of the books that were in the hall because he said, Esther, there are Ellen White books that I haven't read yet. And he wanted to read those first before he did the other. I think we still, I mean, there's a balance. But I saw him at this convention, and he was surprised I remembered that that's what he said. But that stuck with me. So every time I pick up another book, I want to make sure I read the Bible in Ellen White as well as this other book that's a professional book usually that helps me in my specific field. Anyway, I appreciate you so much coming to this seminar. It's been helpful to me. It actually forced me to read through the material of what our conference is trying to do. Our church is in the process of re-looking at our own discipleship program. This material is just something for us to edit. We're going to make it ours, and I want you to make, make it your own. And thank you for your testimony that you want to go through this yourself and become committed to the message and mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. As we close, please find somebody near you. Tell them the one thing that you want to do differently because you've come to the seminar and pray for each other that that conviction won't end here, but it will continue when you go back to your local churches. And as you're done, I'm going to put these uh, mentor guides at the back of the room so you, you can pick them up as you exit quietly. Thank you. Thank you.
This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.